how's everyone doing? So how many people were out um, uh, generating all that renewable energy on the dance floor last night? All right. And how many people got more than five hours of sleep last night? Then you are ready for everything um, at the Great Bioneers Day today. It is so great to be with you here this morning, and I'm going to give you some field notes from the green economy. Um, I think that this conference has done a really good job about talking about the crises we all face as a human species. Um, but what I want to tell you today is some of the amazing things that are going on around the country and around the world to address the problems at the speed and scale necessary. And I'm going to talk primarily with an economic lens because in this day and age, the industrial age dominates. And so if we want a more just, sustainable, compassionate, inclusive society, we need an economy underneath that that generates those values instead of works against those values. Yeah. I'm sure many of you have heard the architect's version of history um, that I think is just so right on about describing what goes on. Um, what the architects say is if you look around at the buildings that dominate, it will tell you what institutions dominate society. So for example, in the Middle Ages, the big buildings were what? the cathedrals, the churches, and those institutions dominated society. As we moved on into, um, into the next stage, um, as, as society started organizing, the big buildings became the government, and those institutions dominated. So if you went to any town in the world, at that town, the town hall, the, the state capital, the nation's capital, those were the biggest buildings, those what dominated. So today, you walk into any town, any city, uh, any nation's capital, what are the big buildings? The banks, the corporations, um, those are, that tells you right away what dominates society and where we got to work if we want change. So um, let me tell you, thanks to all the work that people in this, org in this um, audience have done, because I'm looking at you, I see so many great familiar faces where we've um, been co-conspirators for a very long time. Um, our work has, is having great impact. And while I am short-term very concerned, I am a long-term optimist. We even have Michael Porter, uh, you may know that name, um, uh, one of those Harvard Business School strategy guys that has written a lot of books and gets on a lot of TV programs. Um, and he is now giving a talk that where he talks about sustainability. And he says, borrowing from uh, Martin Luther King Jr., he says, the long arc of business is bending towards sustainability. <laughs> and the reason he says that, he's not just coming up with a good line. Well, that's a very good line. Um, he, it's because in every industry in this world, there are people inside those companies going, my customers are demanding it, and that's very important. Um, when you show up in the marketplace and refuse to buy, or choose to buy, and then use your voice behind it, they do listen. They may not even agree, but they do listen. I'll tell you some stories about the GMOs in a minute, but, um, uh, but they do listen, they do listen. Um, and they know um, that that's what you're asking for. That's what we are all asking for, so keep doing it. It makes a difference. So they know they have to because their customers are saying it. 
And they also know that they have to if they want to stay in business. Um, they're looking at, um, Google for example, looks at what are their most important business drivers? Energy and water. They have got to do something about that or they can't run their business. And so they have been one of the leaders in renewable energy in this country. Um, they are right now working on the East Coast trying to figure out how to build um, uh, an, an energy backbone, an energy transmission backbone that would support offshore wind. Um, and so they have to. It's not a matter of, of philosophy. If they want to keep doing their business, they have to do it. So the long arc of business is bending towards sustainability. But as you all know, we need speed and scale because we don't have to time to wait for the long arcs. So, it's, so what, what really moves me is the amount of amazing work that's going on out there. So at Green America, my organization, we're a green economy organization. We want to see this green economy as fast as possible in the here and now. And the, the way we think about a green economy is if you can imagine a large circle um, broken up into sectors. So there's a sector for all the different things, energy, food, finance, education, all, all around the sector all around the economy. And what's really cool is if you could imagine it up there, well, in fact, imagine this wheel here expanded, this here, and, and, um, uh, and if, you, if it was standing behind me, what you might notice is that um, all of the world's cultures are part of that. If you could imagine um, a, big, a big circle of the economy um, with the four directions on it. If you could imagine a big circle of the economy broken up into 12 sectors, so you have all the positions of the moon. So we have to think about that as a living economy. And what I want to tell you from the field notes from the green economy is in that every sector of that economy, every sector that's yearning to the healthy four directions and to um, a great um, place that supports nature and all peoples, there's great work going on. In the food sector, in the food sector, um, the, the number of community-supported agriculture has quintupled in the last four years. The number of farmers' markets has done the same, quintupled in the last four years. At the height of the recession, the number one selling product that skyrocketed were seeds. People are planting their backyard seeds. Take energy, for example. Um, uh, how many people here are from the state of California? I want to congratulate you. You have had on your grid this year, every day you have averaged 20% or more renewable energies on your grid. You can actually download the app. They call it the ISO. Um, you can actually just Google ISO and look for the ISO app. You can actually watch in real time um, the energy being generated on your grid, and you can see how much of it is renewable energy. Um, the, um, uh, I don't know if, uh, if um, my fellow energy geeks here, um, there's something called a, um, an energy curve, and basically it kind of goes like this. It looks like a mountain that during the night, of course, energy, is energy use is low, and then it peaks during the day. In the springtime, and so traditionally what happens is that it peaks during the day and that's when energy costs the most. Um, and um, in the springtime in California, right now, we don't have an energy mountain, we have an energy valley. 
It used to cost 40 cents a kilowatt hour for the um, energy companies to deliver electricity to the grid at the peak. Now, it's actually, it costs nothing, it's negative. They're not asking for energy in the middle of the day, thanks to the new renewable energy. It can be done. You are demonstrating, you are demonstrating that, you know, there also used to be all these fears, oh, the grid can't manage a lot of renewable energy. You are demonstrating it can absolutely be done. And you are, join, you are joining our um, friends in Germany who some days have 80% of their energy on the grid is renewable, and their grid is done just fine. So my organization in year, the year 2000 started a, a solar energy program because we wanted, we, we did the, the climate change math, and if you want a zero carbon economy, about 50% of your energy has to come from solar. It's, uh, the rest has to come from, from renewable and bio and um, a whole long list of things, energy efficiency. Um, but in order to get the carbon math, you've got, about, you've got to have about um, half solar or some other non-carbon, non-toxic energy that we haven't yet discovered. So um, we wanted to make sure that we had um, a growing supply of solar. At that time, in the year 2000, there was only one there was, th was 1,000 megawatts of solar installed globally, which is about the same size as a small nuclear or a small coal plant. That's all that was installed globally. So we said, well, look, by 2050 at the latest, we got to have half the world's energy coming from solar. So we looked at what the installations have to be in every year and what the prices had to be in every year to meet that target. Right now, by our calculations, we, we, we can get there by 2040. But I have even better news. Um, I have even better news. Uh, there's, an there's an elite group at, um, at Google that looks at disruptive technologies and what's going to grow rapidly like what cell phones did. They're now saying 2025. So, um, uh, and in fact, um, our solar group, which, meet, which meets twice a year to say what has to happen next, um, you know, at one point we had to, um, Oh, in, the mid, in those early days in, in the 2000s, solar silicon was basically just came from recycled waste of the chip industry. Um, but we could see that if we stayed on track for our projections by the mid-2000s, you know, 2005, there would be more solar silicon needed than, than w what they use for the chip industry. So we put out a, um, uh, an advisory RFP saying, hey, silicon industry, you got a new little customer coming up. It's little now, but it's going to grow fast. And luckily, they responded, and they had solar silicon ready, so we didn't hit the wall, and we didn't end up with high prices and, and stop that beautiful growth of solar. So when we met this year, just a couple weeks ago, um, at the Bullet Foundation, that is one of those leading um, living buildings that's just amazing, revolutionizing the building sector, um, uh, we decided that we really looked at it and said the most important thing to make renewable energy happen now with both solar and wind is to make sure that we can get storage moving quickly. And that's moving quickly too. Bad news for fracking. Right now, here in California, it is more cost-effective to put in a um, battery backup system, in a, a, you know, a large system that backs up the, the wind and solar coming onto, onto the grid than it is to put on what they usually do is something called a gas peaker plant. So a gas peaker plant is one that uses natural gas and it turns on and off quickly. And unlike baseload plant, like a coal or nuclear plant, which is very hard to, they, they just have to run constantly. So, they, so when you get those peaks, um, they use nat natural gas peaker plants, except now in California you can use renewables, which is really great. But now we've got to store all that renewable energy, and the, ba the big battery systems 
are actually right now today, even though they're just sort of at the beginning of their technological rapid development, um, they are cheaper than the natural gas peaker plants. And, and they are way cooler because they do double duty. They can both store energy and supply energy, right? And a natural, a national gas, a natural gas peaker plant can only supply energy. So it's much, it makes the whole system much more resilient. So um, I just wanted to let you know, I mean, th this is what I'm calling speed and scale. And if we can get enough renewables on the grid, and if we can get enough storage back up, we are going to just knock that uh, natural gas and all that fracking. It's just going to be um, not going to work for the market. It's going to be knocked off the grid. Um, and I'm, not, and I'm not telling you a fantasy. In Australia right now, because they put a lot of renewables on their grid also, Australia is one of the number one coal providers for the Pacific Rim. And on the Australian grid, solar and wind is knocking coal off the grid. So what I'm describing here is, is that as we build these um, uh, renewable systems, um, in food, in agriculture, in buildings, we can literally knock the old paradigm out of business. So I did say the word building. Building is another place where green buildings are very robust. During the recession, when, as you know, the whole entire real estate industry tanked, the only commercial buildings that were being built at all were um, buildings that were LEED certified. Now, we have to do more. We have to get those living buildings like Dennis Hayes and the Bullet Foundation happen, has, but we're educating a whole generation of architects and real estate, the whole real estate community. Nobody, nobody thinks about a building anymore without looking at some of the um, energy and water aspects. Um, all of you have, have made that possible, so thank you. So um, in the food sector, we already talked about the amazing growth of um, community-supported agriculture, community gardens, um, farmers markets. There is in this country an unstoppable demand for healthy food. That is something that builds a huge tent. Parents today are frightened about the illnesses their children have. We're going on the third generation of processed foods, and everyone here who worried about the impact of those processed foods, all those sugars, all those chemicals, all those pesticides, you were right. We are seeing it show up in our third generation children processed foods with asthma, autism, autoimmune diseases off the charts, um, allergies off the charts. And people, even when they can't say the names of pesticides, even when they don't know what an autoimmune disease is, they know their children are sick. The, um, I talked to um, a, a, a school teacher recently. Um, she's got, uh, I think, fifth grade, fifth grade class, um, 30 kids. She has 20 asthma inhalers sitting in her desk. 20 out of 30 of the kids are on asthma inhalers. Um, she's been teaching for a very long time. She said 20 years ago, it was maybe two. From two to 20 in such a short time. So the parents today know there is something wrong and their intuition tells them it's their food.
I had a really interesting um, conversation the other day with a professor, uh, head of the University of Wisconsin neonatal um, research. They do, he does the toxic, the effect of toxins on neonatal and ch early childhood development. They're looking at things like BPA and mercury and all kinds of ills. And I said, so, well, what do you do about all the toxins in food? And he just looks at me, he says, toxins in food? What toxins? And I, <laughs> I started down the list of what the, um, the pesticide residues were in food, and I named some of them like glyphosate, and he says, glyphosate, stop, wait, wait. He gets out, his piece, he gets out a piece of paper and he starts drawing me the molecular, um, how, what glyphosate looks like, and, and the, the damage that it could have on, on neonatal development or early childhood development. And he said, and, and you know, he draws this all out. And for about, we had a four hour conversation. For about three hours, he's telling me about these structures and how bad they are and how glad he is that, that um, I told him about the toxins in food because now he's gonna get his research team looking at this and maybe he can get some NIH grants to um, chart it, to, to show all of this. And about three hours into the conversation, he grabs my arm and he says, Lisa, uh, what do you do? And I say, I said, well, what, what do you mean, what do I do? He says, well, what do you do about, once you find this out, what do you do about what you eat? It took him three hours to have it go from his left brain to his right brain. <laughs> To get, to get that, we, we just weren't talking about uh, chemical structures on pieces of paper, but we were talking about what um, happens in your own body. And so we spent the next hour talking about um, how, to, how to find healthy food and a healthy diet. So, um, <laughs> but I tell you the story for two reasons. Number one, there's lots and lots of partners out there. Um, it, he was, it wasn't hard to convince him that he needed to do this research. Um, he just didn't know. So he was willing to do it. There was no resistance. It was like, tell me more. So that's number one. There's all kinds of partners out there. Um, number two, it's not a sound bite. It took me three hours with somebody who understands the chemical impacts of the body. He has spent his whole life researching what, what BPA in plastic bottles do to you. He just had no idea that there was also BPA in can linings of, of food and sodas. Um, so, um, it's not a soundbite. We have to have the patience to over and over and over tell the stories to people, to connect with them where they are about what the problems are and what they can do about it. It's not a soundbite. So for all of you who have done that, who have talked to friends, to relatives, to written letters, blogged about it, tweeted about it, um, keep it up, it makes a difference. Um, thanks to you, I can walk into this professor. Thanks to all the work you did, for example, on BPA, I can talk to this professor, this chairman of the neonatal clinic at University of um, Wisconsin, and he gets it, and we can move him to the next level. So thank you for what you do, and keep it up. So I, I want to leave you with this, that um, large system change is possible. It is happening before our eyes. Unfortunately, it's not getting the same kind of media as the problems do in the 24-7 on some um, specific issue, but it's happening rapidly. It's happening to scale. We're seeing it in food. We're seeing it in energy. Um, we're seeing it in buildings. We're seeing it so in so many sectors. So um, the stakes are high, the task is big, but we're up to it and we are doing it. So I want to make sure that at those moments of despair, 
you kind of dial back into this conversation about it is happening and the steps that you are taking are adding up to this change. And I believe, just like cell phones, how many people had a cell phone 20 years ago? <laughs> eh, I don't see any hands. How many people had one 15 years ago? A few. How many people have at least one now? <laughs> okay, I think it's just about everybody. Um, um, th th that rapid exponential growth, um, once we start tipping these systems, can happen. And we are at the tipping points in every one of the sectors of the economy. So keep it up. The last thing I want to leave you with is um, something, uh, one of the things about an economy that works for all, that lives for all, is if you want more about that, we have, um, Bioneers is having this wonderful feminomics um, intensive on um, Monday that you can still join us if you're interested in pursuing this conversation in greater depth. So please do join us. Um, you can check in with any one of the Bioneers folks and they can get you plugged into that. Um, and I want to leave you with this. We have a lot of work to do, as you know, you have been doing, I look in this, at this audience and I see many people who have been working many years on these and I see many new people who are joining in the efforts and I, I thank you. We need experienced energy, we need new energy, we need people working all day, every day, um, moving this forward. Um, and I want to leave you with this. In, in an economy that works for all, one of the guiding um, principles is nature and we need to learn from nature. And one of the things we know from nature is that biodiverse ecosystems are the ones that thrive. So in our new economy, it needs to be totally inclusive. Everyone needs to be at the table. I'm not saying anything you don't know, but I just want to, the design principles of the new economy. And, and when we're all working together, we need a biodiversity of strategies. So we need to recognize our fellow travelers and our co-conspirators, and we need to understand that sometimes they have different strategies than we do, but we can still all work together. Um, please, I don't want anyone spending one more piece of energy um, uh, trying to convince somebody who's on your side to not do what they're doing and to do something else. Support them on what they're doing, and have them support you on what you're doing. No more arguing about whether it's more important to be um, on the streets or in the corporate boardrooms. We need both. We need it all, and we need you. So thank you very much for all that you do. Thank you.